Welcome to On Olive Oil, hosted by Curtis Cord, the publisher of Olive Oil Times, featuring 30-minute discussions with people throughout the world, sharing their unique perspectives on the ever-changing olive oil landscape. This week's guest is master merchant, Stephen Jenkins. Olive oil is how you extend a, a happy life, free of disease, feeling good. And you can't say that really about any other edible substance in our lives. Now, from New York City, here's Curtis Cord. Few people in the world have spent as much time on the olive oil front lines as the master merchant and renowned cheesemonger Stephen Jenkins. His cheese primer won the James Beard Award and is often referred to as the single most indispensable book in the world of cheese. He also happens to have a thing for olive oil. And during his 36 years at the food helm of New York's legendary fairway market, he got New Yorkers to stop, take notice, and taste his vast selection of private label and branded oils from the farms and mills Steve and his staff visited and cultivated over countless road trips through the back roads of Europe and beyond. But like all good things come to an end, a few years ago, Fairway was bought by a private equity firm and spun off in an IPO. Expansion was too fast, at least that's my take on it, and shares that used to be around $30 slid to $0.30. Needing to shed expenses fast, at any expense, the new management made Steve Jenkins the food soul of Fairway an offer he couldn't refuse, and he walked away. Now the innovative signs that Steve and his staff maintained to educate New Yorkers about the foods they were buying are coming down. His commanding character and renegade style of customer advocacy has faded from the gourmet aisles and cheese counters, and Fairway is awash in the viciously competitive New York market without the visionary merchant who spoke to us about food. Anyway, that's how I see it, and I won't ask him to comment on any of that. So now he's taking a much-needed break, fielding some offers, doing some consulting work, and graciously let me impose on his day to check in with him. Stephen joins us today from New York. Welcome, my friend. Curtis, good morning. How you doing? I could not be better. Thank you. You know, if you were Mark Bittman, you'd be saying goodbye to your customers for another six months at least. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. But you just sent out a text to a few friends that said, I'm out of here. There was a blurb in the New York Times. Have you had any closure? No, I really haven't. It's, it's the strangest thing that's ever happened to me. It's like you wake up one morning and suddenly everybody's saying, well, you're, you're so old. It's time for there to be a whole different thing going on now, whether it's your life or anybody else's. Go on, get lost. And I, I'm, mm. I'm going, how, how strange this is. I had no idea that I'd stayed too long at the fair, but uh, apparently I did. You have all these, these younger people who think they know better than the old guys. And, and uh, I guess life's just that way, and you just have to accept change and embrace it. I've, I always say that change is good, but I never thought that I wouldn't be helping drive those stores that we call Fairway Market. It just happened right out from under me, just whoops. I, no, I, mm. I just didn't see it coming, Curtis. Cheese and extra virgin olive oil, obviously they're a match made in heaven, but is it their complexity that captured your interest 
I'm embarrassed to tell you the truth. What, what caught my attention with olive oil was the same thing that caught my attention with cheeses. Now, my cheeses started in the mid-70s, throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s. But then came the 90s, or the late 80s anyway. And I began to pay attention to olive oil just because of the labels. It was the labels on all of those little cheeses, most of which were coming from France, that I was smuggling in in the 70s and 80s. Um, it was those little labels that were so such a throwback to a time when a label really meant something. I began to see great labels on bottles of olive oil, and they intrigued me too. So I, I was such a dope that I really didn't know what was going on inside underneath the label of the cheese, and I didn't know what was going on behind the label on a bottle of olive oil. All I know is I dug labels, I dug the shapes of bottles, um, and I just loved the whole idea of there being this magical liquid in a bottle that you could purchase and take home and call your very own. And I tell you, Curtis, another 15 years went by before I had a clue about olive oil. At least by that time, I understood cheeses and the nature of cheeses and, and, and had committed to memory, you know, a thousand different cheeses to my idiot savant mind. I had a good retention capability. And I, I found I did the same thing with olive oil. I, I, I recognized brand names. I began to recognize specific regions that they came from. Uh, I still didn't recognize anything about the, the aromas and, and uh, maybe the occasional flavor. I, I put a great deal of stock in aroma, in fragrance, than, more so than I do in, in flavors of olive oils. But we'll talk about that another time. So what I'm doing is I'm confessing that I faked it with olive oil for, for a good 15 more or more years before I, I finally turned on the lights and began to understand the nature and privilege of olive oil. I'm way late to this party about, about being able to speak authoritatively about the nature and beauty of olive oil. It started with uh, you were a sucker for packaging. Sucker for packaging. Sucker specifically for the labels that were as as exciting to me as the labels on all those wonderful little French cheeses, cows and goats and sheep cheeses. It just it just turned me on. I had no idea what was in the bottle or what was underneath the label on the cheese. You know, I lived for years on the Upper West Side, not far from the flagship fairway. And even back then, you had a mind-numbing selection of oils from far and wide. And there among the germaphobic New Yorkers, you had dipping bowls <laughs> with, the, with the different oils and nice, crusty, artisanal <laughs> bread. I used to watch in horror <laughs> as homeless people would belly up to that bar and satisfy their daily caloric <laughs> intake with crusty rolls and fancy olive oil. What were you... Th what were you thinking putting out free food in New York City? Who does that? It wasn't that. It wasn't like that at all. I watched every single person that came and went from that area, and I was anal retentive about making sure it was perfectly hygienic. You're, you're, just, you're just like, you're hysterical. Come on. Do people know more about olive oil than they used to? No, they don't. All they know is what they read online, most of which is garbage, and what supposedly authoritative food friends of theirs tell them. Things like, oh, the best olive oil comes from Tuscany. You know, and they'll buy that and they'll run with a phrase like that and it will dominate their thinking, uh, as did nothing dominate my thinking for all those years because I didn't have any information. People are so easily influenced by somebody 
who purports to be an authority on any given subject, but certainly olive oil. It's just, it's just terrible. No, people don't know any more now here in 2016 than they knew back in 1986 about olive oil. At least that's my experience. And nobody talks to more people than, than I because of the what I had 150,000 people a week going through like two stores of my 15. And I would talk to so many of those people on a daily basis. And I'm telling you, they're, they're as ignorant today as they were 30 years ago. I'm afraid I see it the same way you do. And what, how do we change that? I got to get out there on the, the hustings and talk about this more often. I only get a couple, three opportunities to speak a year. I should be out there on the road uh, singing the praises of how important it is to know this, 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 and this about olive oil. And I'll change your whole way of thinking about what you do in the kitchen with your most important ingredient in your kitchen, which is the fat you use to, to translate flavors and physically to cook various ingredients. But it's, it's, it's the fat that you use in the kitchen that defines what kind of a cook you are. You know, it's either butter or it's lard or, it, or it's olive oil. There's never been an effective spokesperson for olive oil. No, there hasn't. And that's why I went nuts when Tom Muller stood up and gave it his best shot at being an authoritative voice that was, that was uh, legitimate. Um, he made so many mistakes in that book that, that I just, I, I took him aside and, and I just laid him out as nicely as I could without being a jerk about it. I said, Tom, you can't say this and you can't say that and you can't say this thing here because it's just not true. You're, Tom, you're painting all of us with a broad brush that is, that is not only untrue, but it's manifestly unfair to suggest that a family that's been doing olive oil for generations would ever even, it would ever even occur to them to, to adulterate their oil or take a shortcut or, or leave the olives on the trees too long so they'll have a bigger yield. It would never occur to these people that I've, I've, I've known for so long now, for going on three decades and, and visit them and, and, and understand the nature of what it is they've accomplished when they, they put a great early harvest monocultivar in a bottle. And, and then you got this guy who's, who's shilling for the California uh, olive oil industry. And it's just, just, as I say, it's just so unfair. So, no, there's not been uh, anybody who can speak for the beauty of olive oil and the truth about olive oil because, frankly, most guys that are, and gals that are in this industry are like any other industry, like real estate or like uh, the garment industry or, or whatever. They're, they're not very passionate, really, or unable to transfer their passion from their brain to the public about what it is we do in the olive oil industry and why it's so endearing and, and, and permanent and unchanging. Um, there's, there's just a, a, some very basic things that people need to understand about olive oil in order to move forward as a cook and as a, as a person who appreciates the finest things in life, of which olive oil certainly is. Well, there's never been a shortage of bad news about olive oil. And this is my first podcast since that 60-minute segment on how the mafia has been making a killing, passing off bad olive oil as Italian extra virgin. Uh, how much of an impact do you think these exposés have on people's buying decisions? Because on the other side, every day you've got new studies, new research, new reports coming out about all of the health benefits of consuming extra virgin olive oil. But it's almost like people don't hear the good news. They only hear the bad news. It's almost like the current presidential campaign. 
Yeah, and it bugs me that, that uh, the media is able to get away with this stuff in the olive oil industry the same way they, they do in politics. They just don't tell the real story and the whole story and the true story. They, they report what they want to report. These are not journalists. These are, these are hacks. These are pundits. These are people who are masquerading as truth-sayers, while, while indeed what they are is, is partisan. And the whole thing that just happened with 60 Minutes, Curtis, for me, what astounds me, and, and I told you this, it, it, it's like Groundhog Day. This is just a reprise of a year ago when, when the, the whole Tom Mueller thing came out. It was the exact same story with the exact same people on uh, both sides of the ocean. Uh, and, and nothing new really had happened except they went back to the bottom feeding supermarkets and pulled a bunch of bottles of, of olive oil that should not have been in anybody's kitchen in the first place and tested them. Of course, found out that they were oxidized in the bottle sealed, that they were not 100% olive oil. This is, we already know this, but the media cast this as a reflection of the entire, entire industry, where indeed it's just that, that, that small segment of American supermarkets that that always go out there and buy the cheapest of whatever commodity it is they want to put on the shelf so that they can make more money. They can mark it up to a decent uh, uh, markup on what, based on what they paid for that olive oil, but that olive oil is garbage to begin with. And that's part and parcel of the whole supermarket industry or any other industry that is a bottom feeder. And you've got to understand that supermarkets don't care about food they don't care about you. They don't care about their jobs that much. They're not passionate about it. They're not, they don't want to be able to say, I am the very best in the universe at this particular uh, part of, of, of the food industry. That never occurs to them. And you as a customer walk in a supermarket, there's nobody in that supermarket that can talk to you about food in any department, certainly not olive oil. But once again, here we got these California guys who, who create this ruckus that's absolute carbon copy of what happened a year ago or whenever that was when they, when they did the same thing. And everybody's acting like it's new. Well, it's not new. It's the same old, same old. It's the American, the North American supermarket industry that, that chooses to put stuff on their shelves, whether it's olive oils or anything else, that is the cheapest, lowest quality that's out there because that's what's going to sell. They're going to be able to sell olive oil for $5.99 a liter, which is absurd. It, it, it's absurd. At four times that price, olive oil still ranks as one of the greatest values in the entire realm of gastronomy. And here you've got supermarkets wanting to sell it for six bucks a liter, eight bucks a liter, and, and suggest to you and me that this is the real deal is not the real deal. It's as phony as the day is long, but that doesn't give you the right to, to, to say everything that comes in from Europe, from the Mediterranean basin, is going to be low quality, it's going to be fraudulent, it's going to be oxidized already. That's absolutely a fallacy. And I, for one, am outraged that uh, these writers are getting away with this. And I'm even more outraged that these people at UCAL Davis are able to put together the California Olive Oil Board and actually, with a straight face, put it across to the, to the, the North American public, buying public, that uh, you're better served buying California oil because you can trust us. You can't trust the European because, look, here we've pulled another six bottles off of uh, this uh, this this rat hole of a supermarket that, uh, that has so-called extra virgin olive oil for sale for for six bucks a liter. It's it's an outrage, and we need to get that message out there. And Americans still consume a shamefully small amount of olive oil on average. 
despite endless reports, serious reports, that high-quality olive oil can improve and extend lives if you just eat it instead of refined seed oils. But it takes a long time to change habits, doesn't it? It does indeed, and we do uh, experience a little bit of growth in olive oil consumption, and I'm the one that ought to feel it because I'm on the, you know, on the firing line of, of retail where I see what people are buying and what they're not buying. And I guess New York's just different. Everybody here is so olive oil centric and so crazed for olive oil. And olive oil is such a rock and roll thing that I lose sight of the fact that out there in Nebraska, folks maybe just don't care. They'll pick up a bottle of corn oil or a bottle of canola oil and, and uh, uh, Bob's your uncle. But there are people who are, are, more interested in the nature of things in a big city, apparently, than, than there are out there in, in the, the hustings, as I said earlier. Uh, folks don't see the rock and roll joy that you get from, from great olive oil. And, and that disturbs me, but it's changing. And I'll still bet you, Curtis, that uh, those of us that choose to, to stick with it are going to prosper because olive oil is the future. Olive oil is the food of the future. Olive oil is how you extend a, a happy life free of disease and feeling good and you can't say that really about any other edible substance in our lives how hard do you think it is for people to know a good olive oil from a bad one by tasting it and why should people care they should care because they're fooling themselves if they think they can you cannot taste olive oil and tell me that this is oxidized you're your tongue receptors and your olfactory receptors do not reflect oxidation. Anybody that says they can taste an oil and tell you whether it's, it's, it's going rancid, meaning oxidized or not, is fooling themselves. It's, that's impossible. Secondly, they need to understand that olive oil is not a food. It's not something that you can taste and wax philosophic like some wine snob and say, well, I'm getting sensations of crushed avocado leaf with a touch of cat pee. Well, hold on a sec, Steve. You're saying that you can't taste rancid olive oil? Nope, you cannot. I can take I can taste. You may think olive. you can, but you cannot. Your brain is fooling you. You can have a, two samples right next to each other, one that's 50% oxidized and the other one isn't, and you be like flipping a coin, tell me which one is oxidized. It's impossible. It's chemically and sensorially impossible. Well, you smell it. You smell the you smell the rancidity. I don't know. I don't know. The experts say no. You say yes. You wrote in an article recently, and I'm, I'm going to quote you here, a grasp of Mediterranean basin geography is crucial to understanding olive oil. Get your maps. Go online for a map. If you don't know where Partana is in Sicily, you don't deserve to have great olive oil. If you don't know where Sicily is or Corsica or Crete or Catalonia or Sardinia, I give up. Yeah, I give up. Come on. I give up. Come on. Come on, Steve. Come on. Really? Absolutely. Come on. If you can't appreciate the terrain, how are you going to appreciate the content? If you don't, if you, it's a one thing to say, well, I've never been to Sardinia. Lots of people haven't been to Sardinia. But do you know where it is? Do you understand anything about that, that sprawling island and how, how it might figure very prominently in the realm of olive oil? Do you know where Catalonia is? Do you know that it's more than just Barcelona? Have you ever said to your wife or your husband or your best friends, Let's travel there. Let's go see these places. Until you have a geographic grasp of the Mediterranean basin, you're never going to understand cooking. You're never going to understand olive oil. And you sure won't get the appreciation that you deserve out of it 
had you done some homework and had you educated yourself as to where these places actually are. Spain's huge, Curtis. You can't say I want a Spanish olive oil. It doesn't mean anything. Same thing as saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a Spanish wine. It doesn't mean anything. Same for France, same for Italy, same for Portugal. These are, are areas within which there are regions and subregions, and they're all different. And they all have an identity and they all have a historical place in line of why that country resonates so loudly to those of us that, that appreciate European history and European, European geography. If you don't know where these places are, you got no business even trying to parse one olive oil from another because you don't, you don't have a grasp of the whole realm. But you just said a second ago that, that uh, olive oil is a condiment and that you can't read into it too far with notes about this, notes about that. So what does geography matter? Geography matters because all those cultivars, all of those varieties of olives come from a specific place and they have a specific fragrance and flavor profile that if you really stick with it, you will be able to break them out. You'll be able to taste uh, a Monte Iblea that's sort of tomatoey from a Coratina that's sort of like fresh cut grass. You'll begin to get those sensations through your olfactory and you'll be able to make those distinctions and you'll also be able to pair up olive oils with specific foods which is a real frontier uh, for for those of us that, that are serious about olive oil. You begin to match up specific cultivars with specific dishes. A steamed bronzino, sea bass, is very different from a grilled bronzino. You're going to want a different cultivar to anoint that that fish based on how you're going to cook it and the characteristics of that particular cultivar. But let's not get let's not get too deep into those uh, uh, arcane but wonderful things about olive oil. It's more important that you understand that olive oil is not a food. It's a condiment. When you taste an olive oil on your tongue and roll it around and then inhale and do all that tasting stuff, um, you're you're going to find a cough if it's the right kind of olive oil. It's going to be an early harvest olive oil if there's a God in heaven, and it should make you cough, and it should be bitter, and it should be pungent. It's not something where you're going to go, ooh, that's so dried fruit. I get dried fruit. I get cooked. It's not a food. It's a condiment. It's supposed to make you cough. It's supposed to be peppery. And if it's not, you need to put it back because that means it's a late harvest olive oil that has no polyphenols in it that do you any good and they don't do the food any good unless they're there. Curtis, it's that, it's that bitterness that amplifies the flavors of food. That's why we seek early harvest olive oil. And an early harvest olive oil is not going to taste like you're tasting a wine so that you can, you, can, you can make up comparisons to what you're tasting in that wine that, that wax romantic. When you taste a proper olive oil, that, that can't happen because that olive oil is so peppery, so sharp, so piquant, and a bit bitter that you would never dream of saying, oh boy, that tastes good. It doesn't taste good. It tastes like what it's supposed to taste, which is an early harvest olive oil that's going to be sharp. And it's going to yeah. amplify all those flavors in your food. If it doesn't, it's a late harvest olive oil. It's going to lie on your food like a side of locks. It does. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was just going to quote you again, because then you wrote, and I'm quoting here again, late harvest olives result in a lot more yield for the grower and miller. These olive oils are often termed fruity, a dead giveaway for stupid olive oil that will lay on your food like a side of locks <laughs> and will and will not be your long life ensuring 
free of disease friend. And you know why that first, happens? Well, first of all, you know I loved smoked salmon. No, no need to diss my smoked <laughs> salmon, Steve. I didn't say smoked salmon. I said lox. Lox is, late har- lox is pickled salmon. It's not smoked. Okay. Big late difference. harvest. Late harvest olive oil is stupid, Steve. Yes, it is stupid. And you know why? Because within 15 days after olives have been picked, the polyphenol level drops like a rock. Not like a not not like a gradual decline. It drops like a rock. And when the phenols disappear from an olive oil, so does olive oil's intrinsic goodness disappear. You're not going to have any of that bitterness that amplifies flavor. And you're not going to have the powerful free radical uh, antioxidation of those phenols in your body. So it's a double whammy for anybody who's shopping for olive oil. Unless you can see that there's an indication that it's an early harvest and it will be proclaimed on the label, Curtis, then you should put that olive oil back because it's the product of a miller who wanted to pay his bills. He got more olive oil in the bottle. uh, Therefore, he's going to make more money. But that olive oil is late harvest olive oil. It has no goodness. It has no magic. It has no appeal and it has no ability to transform the foods in your kitchen into what they are, and uh, uh, which is grown in your garden, your own garden or your own neighbor's garden or your own farmer's market. The best fruits and vegetables and meats and seafood in the world cannot be saved, cannot be improved by a late harvest olive oil. But I think a lot of the nice oils from Provence and places like Morocco, Tunisia, Lebanon are harvested later, and they can be really delicious, full-bodied and very complex, but they don't stay that way for long. They wouldn't boast the polyphenol content of early oils, and they sure wouldn't be able to withstand the travel time to, to local markets here. But if you're over there, you taste some of those some of those more ripe oils. They can be very nice with those local dishes. Lucky you getting to be there and get your hands on a late harvest olive oil before it is completely degraded. Right. But by the time they get to here or anyplace else, they already have degraded. So, okay, right. okay, you tell me that you know when you're in the south of France or, 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 or Liguria or somewhere like Tunisia or Morocco and you're buying olive oil or you're tasting olive oil in a restaurant, you're thinking to yourself, man, that's good olive oil. Man, man, that is really good olive oil. Part of it is because it has not yet completely degraded. But bigger, bigger point here, Curtis, is that that's what you are used to. You, meaning all you folks that have a cousin down the road, uh, your Italian cousin down the road that's been giving you all your olive oil since you were tiny, since you were a little kid, and he did the same thing. His, his mom and dad did it for your mom and dad, gave them olive oil that he came from his own groves, and you became inured to that crummy, lousy, stupid olive oil that he harvested way too late but that had not yet completely degraded. The phenols were gone, but still the, uh, the blood and the bones were in that olive oil so that you could at least taste some creaminess or some butteriness or some appliness that thrilled you. And that's what you became used to, that your olive oil is supposed to taste appley and a little bit buttery. Now, Curtis, that olive oil is not going to improve your food, and it's not going to improve your health. It's just what you're used to. We need to shatter the glass on this so that people understand. They think they know olive oil. Oh, I'm Italian. I've been using olive oil all my life. My mom and dad always had olive oil. My grandparents. You don't know anything about what it is you're seeking with olive oil because you're so used to what's been going down in your family. You've been fooled and you've been fooling yourself all this time. This is a revolution, Curtis, and you're either on this revolutionary bus or you're not, but you've got to listen to me. 
Who is an olive oil producer who impressed or inspired you? Oh my gosh. You gotta understand that before I retired last year, all of my fairway markets had over a hundred olive oil, 75 of which I import direct from the grove to me with nobody in between, but the guy who's packing my pallets. My freight forwarder is me. My customs people are me. My customs broker is me. I know so many people whose family endeavor has been nursing and curating their groves for all of their lives. I wouldn't know where to start. I've got 14 Southern French oils by themselves from Languedoc and Provence. You wouldn't find more than three or four in the best shop in Paris or Lyon or, 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 or anywhere else in France. You're not going to find French oils, but in fairway markets, by God, you'd find 14 of them because I'm a maniac for Southern French oil. I love it. And I, I know so many of those folks so well, and I'm able to, to exhort them and cajole them into sending me early harvest oil only, as opposed to their usual ripe olive olive oil, which is a custom in France. It's not, it's not from black or dark purple olives. It's at least beige and brown olives, which means they're coming to ripeness. Um, so in even every region of Italy, almost, I can, I can name a family that, that I'm close to that I, that I respect so highly because of the devotion they give to their groves. And certainly the proliferation of, of regional Spanish olive oil families that I've gotten to know just over the last five years. And largely, and thanks to the, to the uh, Olive Oil Times and, and Curtis Cord, who have opened up North America to all these fabulous Spanish oils that are, that are coming to us now. Regional Spanish olive oils have vaulted past Italy and France in terms of, of rock and roll and seriousness and the ability to market their, their fine early harvest oils to North America. They just vaulted past Italy and France. It's, it's really, really something to see. So the answer to your question is more, more, more families than I can imagine that I know pretty darn well and understand the lives they lead and the kind of people they are and how it would never occur to them in a million years to do anything but go to the ends of the earth to provide the best olive oil they can whilst paying their bills, whilst paying themselves, whilst building up their groves and making them better for the next season, while withstanding all the vagaries of being a farmer. My gosh, the problems these guys have. Is just If it isn't one thing, it's another. You know, it, Curtis, if it's not hail, if it's not rain, if it's not drought, if it's not a fly, if it's not a mold, it's something else. Now you've got the California Olive Oil Board on their case spreading lies about us. I mean, I mean I, these people cannot catch a break. Everywhere they're turned, there's something else to thwart them from, from having a successful harvest and being able to pay their bills. You know, that's another thing I wanted to say. The only, the only way that you can come up with olive oil as good as the ones that I import is to spend a ton of money. Those machines cost so much money. The facility that you have to protect your olive oil from, from oxygenation, from being oxidized, costs a fortune. There's no artisanal virtue to the old tools anymore or the old facility, the old house, the, 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 the spider webs, the dust, the dirt on the floor. It, does, it can't exist in the same realm as, as the best olive oil in the world. We've, we've learned that over and over and over. It costs a fortune to make really good olive oil. I'll tell you what impresses me. In about seven weeks, we'll hold our fourth New York International Olive Oil Competition. And if this one is like past 
editions, the judges will go through their 700 or 800 entries and find about 25 or 30 percent of them worthy of a coveted award. Perhaps 400 or 500 will go home empty-handed. But what really impresses me, Steve, is that there are 700 or 800 dedicated producers from 26 countries who strive for excellence to such a degree that they believe they have crafted one of the world's finest extra virgin olive oils and want to prove it. That is a humbling concept, and I have such profound respect for these people. I just dance. I, I do a happy dance when I think about it. I was lucky enough to be at the premiere three years ago and the second one and the third one, and it's just, you know, it's like... It's like a it's like a rock concert or or a festival a, rock, a a music festival from from 30 40 years ago. It's just it's just the happiest most exciting thing that that's the New York International Olive Oil Competition thing. I've heard that it's it's bigger than the last 3, the first 3. It's like 800 entries. And yeah. and it's not cheap for these folks to to have no. to send a sample and go through that thing no it's not and can you imagine going to all that trouble and then walking away empty-handed and you're just right you're crestfallen it's it's a lot of drama and it's a lot of emotion and the remarkable thing to me is that so many of these producers are carrying on what their mothers and fathers and grandfathers did and little did they know back then the health benefits that would come to be attributed to what has been their common fat they didn't know the stuff actually made you live longer although they might have had a suspicion Maybe a suspicion, but they didn't think in those terms. They thought in terms of how can I make those tomatoes that I just took out of my own garden taste even better than if I was standing out there with a hose washing off the dirt and eating it like an apple. They're thinking all these years that I've been pulling my tomatoes into the kitchen and slicing them up with fresh handmade warm mozzarella and torn basil and a good healthy grind of a pepper mill and then drizzling my own olive oil over it, I've learned as the guy who runs that garden and who owns this kitchen, that my tomatoes taste better when I drizzle an early harvest oil on them because it brings out the flavor more. It, 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 that the bitterness tends to amplify that brassy, wonderful, fabulous nature of that ripe tomato. And when I do it instead with this, the olive oil that I, I, I is a year old now and that I took from those olives way down the hill when they were almost dead ripe. I, I don't really, I, you know, I could eat this tomato by itself with no olive oil and really have a better experience. So it's that trial and error where a peasant, I'm a peasant, where a peasant like me begins to understand that, hey, this stuff tastes better when I use that really green olive oil that's green because the olives were green and they ha it has a lot of chlorophyll in it. And I got that, I cough when I taste that olive oil and it, it's very, very peppery and pungent. And it's got a bit of bitterness. That's the oil I want with those tomatoes and that mozzarella and torn basil. So it, it's, it's not everybody that's so inured to using late harvest olive oil that they think that's the way olive oil should be. You'll take a peasant like me and six times six doses of an early harvest and six doses of a later harvest. Silly me, the early harvest tastes better. It makes my food taste better. And it just so happens I'm going to live 25 years longer because of that early harvest oil than I would on that late harvest. 
So you learn these things because you're a thinking human being who's not been classically trained in, in why all these things happen to you when you taste an early harvest versus a late harvest. It happens because your brain is healthy and your brain sends the signal back to you, this stuff tastes better because it's, it's, it's bitter and it's sharp. And that's, that, that makes me really happy. And that's why I think there's hope for the North American uh, consumer to learn the nature of, of serious olive oil that's going to make his or her life so much better. I could talk to you all day about this stuff. We argue now and again, but, but I think we only argue because I want revenge on these people that spread lies. You, Curtis Cord, tend to give them a break, give them a pass, and let them get away with it. I say, <laughs> I say don't let these scalawags get away with this. It's, it's outrageous that they would imply that European olive oil is, uh, is going to be fraudulent and that if you want to make sure that doesn't happen, you should only be buying California olive oil. That, that's outrageous that anybody would suggest such a thing. Yeah, well, there's a lot of trash talking going on. But, you know, in the end, science uh, is, the, is the great leveler. You can test this stuff and you can pull a bottle off a shelf. You can test it. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can check its chemistry. And, and in the end, you know, it's, uh, and it's not just imported oils, but in the end, chances are if you go to the, the supermarket and you buy a bottle of, of stuff that says extra virgin olive oil, you know, there's a, there's a great chance that what you bring home and feed your family is not extra virgin olive oil. So stay out of supermarkets. You know, find somebody in your community or clo as close as you can or on the Internet that you can trust. And you, you're just going to have to understand that. You're not going to be able to buy olive oil that's worthy of you for 10 bucks a liter. It's, mm -hmm. it's not going to be very good olive oil. You're going to have to pay $15, $20, for a bottle of olive oil. Get used to it. You want I'm seeing better and better selections at, at small specialty stores and, for example, Italian delis. I'm seeing very nice selections. I'm seeing fresh oils you know, brought in from distributors. And uh, I, I think I'm seeing things move there. Keep an eye on that date. You know, you're, yeah. you got to go, your eyes got to go to that label, put your glasses on so you can read those little tiny letters and, and find on that label where it tells you what year harvest it came from. Because if it's more than a year, you need to put that oil back and not shop in that supermarket because they're selling you two-year-old oil and that's just not the way it's supposed to work. I got to let you go because I know you have another call, but always a pleasure, Steve. The pleasure is mine, Curtis, and it's an honor because um, what you're doing for this industry, and I, I'm, so, I'm so proud to, to be able to say that, yeah, I know him. We talk. I know him. Thanks, Steve. We'll be in touch. Hope so, Curtis. Best to you. On Olive Oil is produced in New York by Olive Oil Times, the world's leading olive oil publication. To listen to past episodes, visit onoliveoil.com. <laughs>